While we're getting things set up, you can go ahead and uh, be giving if you give via your phone or laptop if you're at home. However, all the ways to give are on the screen right there. You can text an amount to the number on the screen. You can go to murrayhills.com forward slash give. Uh, You can write a check, drop it in the mail, or drop it in the buckets. And y'all out of here? You gone? I guess we can do that too. And kids are dismissed. They do not need a reminder. They're like, hey, worship was great, but see you, dude. Uh, And so that's a lot of kids. It's good to see kids back. Man, it's awesome. Uh, As a reminder, because we hadn't done this since March, but kindergarten through fourth grade come to worship with us, and then they're dismissed right before the sermon. Our toddlers and preschoolers all start at the beginning. And uh, so, and the reason we do that is because we want our, as the kids get older, we want them to start transitioning into worshiping together with their families. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but in a couple of those songs, the loudest voice in the room were kids. And so that's why we do that. We want our kids in here worshiping with their families. We want them taking communion with their families. And then when it gets to the sermon, they can skip that and go get their own uh, age-relevant teaching. You don't get to skip it, though. You guys sit right here for the next 20 minutes. Um, I'll try and make it quick and painless. Um, we're, we're in a series called The Story, so we've been trying to read through the entire Bible. We started second week of August. We'll be done November 22nd, and today is actually halftime. So we just finished part one. Part one was the Old Testament. It was uh, seven weeks 300-something pages, 20-something chapters, uh, 40-something major characters. And if you completed that, then, you know, give yourself a pat on the back. You've completed the Old Testament. Maybe for the first time ever, you completed the Old Testament. And, of course, we haven't been reading in a traditional Bible. We've been using a Bible called The Story. It's a chronological Bible put in narrative form. So it reads like a novel, but you get all the major stories, skipping some of the genealogies and lists and instructions for the tabernacle and poetry and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, today, we, you know, we finished that. That was last week, so you should have wrapped up that, that reading last week. Next week, we'll start the New Testament. And the way we're doing this is the sermon kicks off the reading. So you don't have anything to read this week. We intentionally built a break. We put it on fall break. And the idea was... If you've been reading the Old Testament, it's it's very likely you got behind. And so this week gives you an opportunity to get caught up. If if you've got a few chapters behind, you want to use this week to get caught up, then you've got an opportunity to do that. It also gives you an opportunity to re-engage. Like if you started the Old Testament and went, "Eh, no, I'm out, it's too much. You know, 300 pages, that's a lot of reading. Then you got a chance to kind of just pick back up with us on the New Testament portion, uh, part two. Or if you're new to Murray Hills, and I met a family that was new, this is their second Sunday here. And uh, so they obviously didn't get to participate when we kicked this thing off. They're going to join us for the New Testament portion. And so that starts next Sunday. I'm also going to introduce an alternative reading schedule. So... You, you'll have the storybook. I don't have one with me. You have the storybook, and you can keep reading that. But uh, if you didn't get a chance to buy those books on the front end, then I'm going to do a little reading schedule just based on the New Testament. Like you'll read one of the Gospels one week. You'll read the book of Acts one week. And so you'll be able to participate. So everybody can participate. And I would encourage you, if you did disengage during the Old Testament, pick it back up, and let's try to read the New Testament. In the next six weeks, you can read the entire New Testament. You'll get all of the stories, and it's going to be worth your time. And the reason I really encourage you to do that is because uh, you're going to like the New Testament better than you like the Old Testament. You recognize a lot of the stories from the Old Testament, the early stories. 
But then once you get past the old, early stories and you get into those later stories, the, the Old Testament gets a little confusing. So the New Testament is it's shorter. Uh, it's a little easier to understand. Uh, you're going to recognize more of the characters. It's more relevant to our lives today, and it's more important. And I absolutely believe it's more important. The, the Bible is equally inspired. It's not all equally applicable. So we are New Testament Christians. We're under the terms of the New Covenant, and the New Testament reveres fully the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And the New Testament is really all you need for uh, life and salvation. Of course, that brings up some questions about the Old Testament, and we're going to get to one of those here in just a minute. But halftime, I had to decide what are we going to talk about at halftime. Like, there's no Old Testament stories to tell. There's no New Testament stories to tell. What do you talk about on the, the break in between here? And I come up with three different options. Two of them I, I ruled out. I'm going to go with the third one. Uh, and the first one was we'll talk about the intertestinal period. You know, that's what I was thinking. We would talk about that because you realize that 400 years passed from the, the last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament. 400 years. That, I mean, that's a lot of history that we're missing and we don't have in our Bibles. And I thought, we'll talk about the intertestinal period. And then it hit me. I, I don't know what happened during the intertestinal period. And I'm on vacation the week leading up to this message. So I'm not going to have to study what happened in the intertestinal period. Plus, that sounds like a boring sermon to me. Uh, you know, like if I'd have sent an email out and said, hey, this Sunday we're going to talk about the intertestinal period of the Bible. You'd probably like, nope, I see maps in the future and all, I'm out. Uh, so I, I, I scrapped that idea. The second idea I love, and I really, really wish I could do this sermon today, but again, I, is vacation interrupted it. But uh, the second one was, I'll just do a sermon on all the things that have disturbed me thus far in the Bible. Like everything that's bothered me so far in the Old Testament reading. Because there's, there's a lot of stuff, if you read it, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that's troublesome. And I've got all kind of questions, and there's all kind of thoughts around about, like, ooh, that bothers me. And, like, we could talk about violence. I've already mentioned that one already in this series, but we could talk about this a very bloody history. Uh, we could talk about polygamy. Like, why do they have so many wives? What's going on there? Uh, we could talk about, um, what was the other one? Uh, miracles. We could talk about miracles, because I, I should not confess this, but I will. Every time I talk about miracles in the Old Testament, I get a little uncomfortable, because it's just the way my brain is wired. Like I'm, all, I'm kind of analytical, rational, reason type, and I'm always looking for some kind of explanation. And so when, you, when I tell stories about, oh, yeah, the sea parted and they walked across on dry ground, or you know, he struck the rock and water came out of it, or uh, three men entered the fire and it was so hot that it burned up the men that put them in the fire, but then they weren't burned up and they just walked into the fire and then they walked back out of the fire, that just... It's, that seems weird to me. And I, so I'm always like, is there some, what's going on? Is there, are these stories symbolic or is this actually what happened? Is there an actual explanation for it? That, you know, what is it? So we could talk about miracles. I'd love to do a series of more on miracles. And there's miracles in the New Testament. We'll get to those. We could talk about one of the biggest things that's bothered me is the providence versus free will. Like in the Old Testament story, how much of it is God directing this, like God predestined this to happen in the way that it happened because he's sovereign and he could versus God allowed humans to make their own decisions and choices. Like he knew they were going to get exiled, but did he allow them to make the decisions that led to their exile? And then it's got all this stuff like, you know, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. So how do you understand that? And Moses changed his mind. I mean, that's weird. We could do a whole message on that. Like, is it possible for us to change God's mind? God's had his mind set up, but we can, we can change his mind through our prayer. So th that would be fascinating to talk about. And that was my plan. 
until I realized I'm, I'm going to be sitting on a beach and I'm not going to want to be talking about uh, or thinking about difficult Bible topics while I'm on the beach. <laughs> and so I, I scrapped that idea, although that is a future series coming in 2021. I've put that on the back burner because I would love to do a series about all the things in the Bible that bother me. Um, I decided instead to tackle a question that some of you have probably asked, and you may have asked this for a long time, because some of us grew up in you know, fairly conservative denominations, and, and some of them put a great, great emphasis on the New Testament, which is good. I think you should put a good emphasis on the New Testament. But they put such an emphasis on the New Testament that we were kind of taught to believe the Old Testament doesn't really matter. Like, why, why would I even bother reading the Old Testament? I'm not an Old Testament Christian. I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm not under the terms of the Old Covenant. I'm under the terms of the New Covenant. So some of us have been asking this question a long time, and that is, you know, why or does the Old Testament matter? Some of us may have asked that question after my last series that I did right after Easter because we talked about the Old and the New Covenant, and we talked about the idea that the New Covenant is more important. The New Covenant is applicable to us. The commands of the Old Covenant are not applicable to us. And so that may have got us thinking, like, why do I need, why does the Old Testament matter then? And I even said it in this message that it's more important. And so the question I want to tackle is why does the Old Testament matter? Why should we bother reading it? Why should we bother studying it? How does it help our faith today? I mean, is this just history we're reading about? Or like, what, what do we learn from the Old Testament? Why does it matter? And I'm going to give you a quick answer to it and a few examples. And um, we'll, we'll be out of here. Okay? The answer is simple. And there's, well, there's, I should say, there's multiple answers to this question. But the, the answer I've chosen to focus on this morning is that the Old Testament matters because it enriches and deepens our understanding of the New Testament. Now, the New Testament matters because it reveals to us the identity of Jesus Christ. The New Testament teaches us about the life of Christ. It teaches us about his death, burial, and resurrection. It teaches us about the teaching of the apostles and the establishment of the church following his resurrection. So the New Testament is all about Jesus. But everything in the Old Testament is leading us up to the New Testament. So it's, it's like the backstory that's leading us. So everything's leading us up to this reveal that's going to happen next Sunday, the reveal, the birth of Christ, the new beginning. You know, this, this, the king has come, the Messiah has come. All of that in the Old Testament is leading us up to that. So we need to understand what happened in the Old Testament, not because without it we can't understand the New Testament. It just makes our understanding of it deeper. Does that make sense? You know, like, it's, like I could just read the New Testament, have no knowledge whatsoever of the Old Testament, read the New Testament, and I would learn enough to become a follower of Jesus. And I would learn enough to be saved. But if I understand the Old Testament, then what I, what I learn in there is that there's so much deeper and meaningful, and, and it actually increases, I think, my commitment to Jesus Christ because it starts to connect the dots as to what they're saying. Because a lot of the New Testament was trying to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Like the Gospel of Matthew was written to Jewish people to say, this is, this is who was coming through Abraham. This is who was coming through King David's line. This is who was coming. You know, this is who the prophets talked about. This is the Messiah. This is who Isaiah was referencing when he said, for unto us a child is born. So Matthew has a lot of Old Testament references in it. Uh, the Apostle Paul does a lot of Old Testament references in it. Now, they don't call it the Old Testament, because the Old Testament didn't exist in that form at that time. At least not in that, that using it, uh, called the Old Testament, if you will. 
Okay? They didn't call it the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. You understand? Like at, at the time that the New Testament was written, the Old Testament is simply called the Scriptures. Or it's called the Law and the Prophet. It's not old. It's just the, the Hebrew Scriptures is all it is. And so everybody who's a Christian in the first century, the, the earliest Christians, I should say, were Jewish people who were faithful to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets, they just came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Law and Prophets. So they knew their Old Testament. So the early Christians knew their Old Testament. They just didn't know it as the Old Testament. They called it just the Scriptures or the Law and the Prophets. They knew that, and that they were faithful to what Jesus was revealed there. So that alone ought to give us a little reason as to why it matters, because if that's what they knew, we need to have some of that same knowledge. If that's the, This is the only Bible Jesus knew. I don't know if you thought about it from that perspective. The Hebrew Scriptures is the only Bible Jesus knew. Jesus was very versed in Hebrew Scriptures, and so that's one of the reasons to read it. But let me show you an example real quick. I'm just going to show you. It's the book of Hebrews is the greatest example of that. The book of Hebrews is, is in the New Testament. It was a letter written to the Hebrews, so it makes sense if it's called Hebrews that you probably need to know a little bit about Hebrew history and a little bit about Hebrew theology and Hebrew Scriptures because here's what's going on. Jewish people come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. But they're tempted, and you read all through this in the book of Acts, they're tempted to start mixing and matching principles from the Old Testament with principles in the New Testament. Because the New Testament brings about this radical shift in, in the faith. Uh, things that were not okay in the Old Testament are now they're okay in the New Testament, like some of the cleanliness laws and the kosher and the ceremony, some things that were very important to the practice of their faith, like animal sacrifice and going to the temple and all that. It's very, very important in the Old Testament. And now in the New Testament, uh, it's, that's not required any longer. And so they were very tempted to mix and match some of those things to say, yeah, you can be a Christian, but you also need to obey the law of Moses. So, of course, you can be a Christian, but you also got to go to temple. And, of course, you'd be a Christian, but you also got to be circumcised. And, of course, you'd be a Christian, but you also need to follow the kosher laws. What kind of Christian wouldn't follow the kosher laws? So there was this, this conflict that happened in the early church, and they're debating this back and forth. Hebrews was written to, to clear up some of the controversy. Hebrews was written to say Jesus is superior to Moses, Jesus is superior to all the ancestors, Jesus is superior to all the great prophets, Jesus is superior to King David, Jesus is superior to, to everybody. Jesus is superior. Here's the way it, the, the letter begins. I'm just going to step you through a few of these examples real quick. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. What are they talking about? The Old Testament, right? The Hebrew Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He also made the universe. So Jesus has now come. The New Testament reveals Jesus. He has now come, and He is greater than the ancestors. He is greater than the prophets. He is, in fact, the one the prophets were pointing to. He's greater than the kings. Jesus is greater even than Moses himself. And one of the most shocking things that the book of Hebrews says is no longer shocking to us. And that's because we're not Jewish and we're not very well versed in our Old Testaments. The shocking thing it says is Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. And that is that Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. I don't, I don't bother any of us. Like, oh, of course. Yeah, Jesus is greater than Moses. But to a Jewish audience, 
that has been taught their entire life to revere Moses. Like when you read the Old Testament, what do you find out? Moses is pretty important. Moses is really important. He keeps showing up over and over again. The Torah ends by saying no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds of Moses. No one has ever shown the mighty power of Moses. And now this author's saying, except Jesus. Jesus, he picks the hero of their faith. And if you understand, you read the Old Testament, then you understand why this is such a big deal and why this claim is so big because he's saying Jesus is superior to even Moses. And he explains it right there. The builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Look at his analogy. Every house is built by someone. God's the builder of everything. So Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. So, so Jesus is now over Moses. And then he continues in this. Chapter 4, he says Jesus is now the great high priest. He later says in the order of Melchizedek. And you go, well, who's Melchizedek? Well, you've got to read your Old Testament and figure out who that is. But he's the great high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the only one allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. The high priest was the way that you accessed God. You, you couldn't access God just by yourself you couldn't access God you could you had to go through the high priest the high priest was the mediator between the people and God and now he's revealing that Jesus is the great high priest who's ascended into heaven and it goes through several chapters and you're talking about Jesus is the great high priest the main point of what we're saying is this chapter 8 we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So what is a tabernacle? Well, you need to read your Old Testament. If you read your Old Testament, you know that the tabernacle was where the physical presence of God dwelt. God dwelt in the tabernacle, and the tabernacle went with them to all these places, and there were all these rules for how they were interacting with the tabernacle. The priest was the only one who could go into that holiest place. But now Hebrews is saying, Jesus is greater than Moses, Jesus is greater than any of the high priests. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than the Levites. He is, in fact, the great high priest. And Jesus is the true tabernacle. What does that tell us? Jesus is the physical presence of the invisible God. Jesus is the visible presence of the visible God. He's the exact representation of God. This is revealing to us. We just, if we know our Old Testament, we catch all that because he's saying, oh, wow, Jesus is the presence of God. We can know what God looks like because we know what Jesus looks like. Because Jesus is the tabernacle. He keeps going here. Chapter 9. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already have, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part of this creation. Now, this next verse I'm going to throw on the screen doesn't make any sense if you don't know anything about the Old Testament. Read it. Uh, this is like verse 12 or 11. He did not enter, he's talking about Jesus entering the tabernacle. He did not enter by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all through his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Now he's getting ready, he's setting up this next verse. But look at that right there. I highlighted everything on that verse that makes no sense if you've not read the Hebrew scriptures. I mean, it's just like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> You, you got to know a little bit about tabernacles, temples, sacrifices, offerings, uh, 
the terms of the covenant, the, the cleanliness laws, some of the kosher laws, and all that. I mean, like that. If you know that, then he's, what he says here is of great, great importance and great significance. If you don't know that, it's kind of, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't know what he's talking about there. He uses it to reveal this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. You see how he's setting Jesus up. He's saying right there, look at this. Jesus is the animal sacrifices that were required for you to, to be relieved of your guilt. Jesus is greater. His sacrifice is greater than those sacrifices. The most holy place where you can encounter God, actually you couldn't encounter him, only the high priest could, but the most holy place where God dwelled, Jesus entered the most holy place. Jesus is now the access that you have to God. The blood of goats and bulls, that could never save you. The ashes of heifer, that could never save you. The ways that you worship, worship that could never save you. You are made clean through Jesus. So all that, he keeps lifting Jesus up, lifting Jesus up, lifting Jesus up. Now, if, if you don't know the Old Testament, you still understand that Jesus is superior. You may not know the full context of what he's talking about, but there's still enough. Like, if all you have is the New Testament, I absolutely stand by that statement. All you need is the New Testament for life and salvation. If that's all you have and that's all you know, you will know everything you need to know about Jesus and about salvation. But if you have the Old Testament, it just enriches and deepens your understanding of what it's revealing to us about Jesus. It enriches and deepens our commitment to Jesus when you start to put all this together. This is my favorite one right here. For this reason, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He goes on in this letter and he explains that the first covenant has been made obsolete by Jesus, because Jesus has fulfilled and completed the first covenant. You know what we call the first covenant today? The Old Testament. Testament is a word that equals covenant. So the Old Testament has been fulfilled and completed by Jesus. Jesus is now the mediator of a new covenant. We call that the New Testament. So Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant, and guess who's included in this new covenant? Not a specific nation, not a specific group of people who all descended from Abraham, everybody's included in this new covenant. Everybody who sees Jesus as their Savior, everybody who accepts Jesus as their Savior is included in this new covenant. And so therefore, Jesus is superior to everything. To a Jewish audience, he would say, Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to King David. Jesus is superior than the tabernacle. Jesus is superior than the animal sacrifices. Jesus is superior than the old covenant and the law of Moses, which was very important. And Jesus is superior to all those things. In a new audience, he might say, Jesus is superior to whoever you decide to elect this November. Jesus is superior to whatever government structures are in place to provide stability and peace. Jesus is superior to those things. Jesus is superior to whatever pastor it is that you listen to or whoever you watch or whoever you read. Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to whatever building you go to worship in because you don't have to have a building to worship in anymore. You don't have to go to a tabernacle or a temple to worship. You don't have to go to a priest or a pastor or an elder to worship anymore because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant that's what the old new testament is going to reveal to us the terms of the new covenant and let me tell you the new covenant has better terms than the old covenant and it has better promises than the old covenant and that's where we're getting ready to go 
Now, I want to close our service different. Um, you guys know that I tend, to, I, I tend to try to write out most of what I'm going to say because I like to stick pretty carefully to my notes. But in the first service, I called an audible. We were supposed to talk about this next, but I, I'm not going to talk about that. We're going to go back to this. And that, you're probably going like, wait, wait, what were you going to talk about? What was the point? Eh, well, we're just going to talk about this. Um, you have to figure it out on your own. See how the rise of Skullwalker relates to everything I just said. Instead, what I wanted to do is I wanted to close our service by praying over the things that Ebony challenged us to pray over this last week. Because as I listened to the songs Tiffany chose for this uh, worship this morning, and as I read these verses in that service, I'm like, this, this, is, this is a message that our nation, our city, our people, our families, this is a message that we need to hear, that, that Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to everything and everybody. He has authority over everything and everybody, and he is ultimately the answer to every one of the things that we prayed about. So Ebony had us pray for six days, our schools, our city, our needs of the community, the pandemic, salvation of unbelievers, and the global church. And Jesus is over all of those things. Jesus is superior to all of those things. And so I, I want to close with a word of prayer about these things as just a way of finishing this, this six days of prayer. And she's been sending you emails about this, and she challenged you in the message as a way of kind of wrapping this up as we prepare to step into the New Testament and read all about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament has been pointing to this. So we, as we prepare to do that, I want us to pray over these different things uh, with Jesus in mind, with this verse right here in mind. So join me in this prayer, and this will close us out for today. But Father, I want to begin by lifting up our schools. We lift up to you uh, the, the public schools, Murray County Public Schools, and uh, Zion Christian Academy, and Columbia Academy, Agathos, um, any of our home schools that meet across our, our county, you know, Columbia State, just all the, just such an incredibly difficult time for our teachers and our administrators and faculty to, to do education in the midst of this pandemic and, and everything's chaotic and, and difficult time for our students. And some of them are online and some of them are in person. And God, we just ask that you would, you would be with those administrators be with those teachers be with those students uh keep lifting them up keep helping them do the things that they need to do keep keep pointing them to you and your son father i pray that you be with this city be with the cities in our county right here with mount pleasant and spring hill and columbia and be with murray county and i know there's people driving from from other cities to this church or watching from other cities or states right now just be with those cities be with the nation the world it's just chaotic right now. We watch the news and we see uh, contention and violence and hatred. And they're just, uh, it's just such a mess right now. And uh, we ask for peace. We ask that the Prince of Peace would rule uh, over this, this government, over these nations, over these cities. And that people would start to look to your son Jesus for their hope rather than the people that we elect or the people that we put into office. Uh, Father, I pray for the needs of this community, for the mental health needs of this community, people struggling with depression, anxiety, uh, people struggling with loneliness during this pandemic that aren't able to get out, aren't able to see people as often. Uh, we pray for the emotional needs of this community. We pray for the, the physical needs of this community, for people that don't have um, a place to stay, people that don't have enough to eat, uh, people that are out of work right now or in need of a job. We pray that the needs of this community will be met through your people. 
that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus that help meet the needs of this community. We pray for this pandemic. Uh, it's, we're weary, we're tired. Um, in some end, we go back and forth from like, some days we're like, oh, this is so stupid. Why does this keep happening? Let's just get it over with. And then other days we realize how serious it is that people are, are losing their lives and um, that there are people that are being greatly affected by this. And so we pray that uh, this would... I don't know, subside in some sense, that whether that's people getting immunity or a vaccine or I don't know what it is, but that, that this would begin to subside and we would be able to come back to full health. Uh, Father, we pray for the salvation of unbelievers. We pray for those. Everything that we've read today is a promise made to people who believe in your son Jesus. And for those that don't believe that yet or maybe have never heard that or been exposed to that, um, we pray for them to, to see Jesus and they might see Jesus through us. And uh, we pray, that's why we pray for the global church. We pray for the global church that, that we might be a light that shines Jesus uh, into this world. We might be the hope that uh, gives hope to people in this world. The church has screwed up so many ways. And uh, people tend to see our sins more than they see our Savior. And they see all our failings. Um, more than they see your perfection. And so, Father, help us, to, help us to just be a mirror that reflects your light into the community. And um, forgive us of our wrongdoings. Forgive us of when we get off track. Just help us to humble ourselves and to be kind and to practice the fruits of the Spirit that you call us to, to, to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, to be people of kindness and gentleness and, and self-control and faithfulness. Uh, Father, I pray all of this, as Tiffany led right before I preached this morning, that your, your spirit is welcome here. We invite you into this place, not the four walls of this building, but we invite you into our families, we invite you into our workplaces, invite you into our schools, uh, invite you into just our everyday lives as we try to lift up Jesus as being more superior to anything else in our lives. And we we lift him high in the same way that the writers of your scriptures lifted him high. And we thank you for the new covenant that has been established through his blood. We thank you for the promise of eternal life. Um, and it's in the name of your son Jesus that I pray these things. Amen. All right, next week, we will start the New Testament next week. Well, you don't have to read anything. If you want to jump ahead, you can start reading Matthew. But we'll start that uh, next Sunday. And then don't forget about Miss Tammy's Beach House is live next Sunday. So you guys have a great rest of the day and see you next Sunday.